0: Good morning, everyone. It's really good to kind of be with you, with all you guys here today. Um, I'm excited especially today because I get to be with all of you on the 4th of July. Um, Just a really exciting opportunity kind of just to congregate with the church on a really special day. So that's um, really cool. Now, this is our second week going bobby list, so I have to apologize for you guys. But um, I'm hoping that at the same time I can encourage you guys with the message that I brought Today, Um, So, as Bobby said, I'm just married to my wife, Nikki, uh, May 28th, so we're really excited about that. I am a Moody student, and I'm the intern for the summer, so I'm excited to be able to see more of you guys and to see more people, especially for the ones online. Um, We're excited that all of you guys are here, especially that you made the decision to be here on the 4th of July. So in the spirit of true freedom and on the 4th of July, we're actually going to be going over. Um, what true freedom actually means biblically, and so that's going to be a really interesting kind of um, concept and idea that we're going to be going through today, Um, just because it's really important that we take the time to kind of analyze and break down what true freedom actually means biblically. So true freedom is actually something that we really do idealize in this country. It's what we are kind of building our country off of, but what I'm really going to challenge today is that it's, it's important that we are defining this biblically, as I said, but it's also important to recognize the weaknesses of the freedom that we actually have built America off of. So before we get into that, we're going to pray, come before the Lord. So let's do that really quick. So, Lord, we just thank you for this day, and we thank you for the opportunity just to be within your presence and to um, you know, just congregate as a church, to really understand what you believe in what you constitute as true freedom Lord we pray that we may understand that better today that you may help us to know that better that your will may help us to know that better Lord we just thank you that you have gifted us with the opportunity to come into each other's presence to just be a community Lord and that we are now able to see each other's faces again Lord and to be free of masks Lord Um, but also at the same time you know just to be safe and keeping each other safe and just loving one another So, Lord, we just thank you for this day, and we pray that you may be with us in our presence, Lord, and in yours as well. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So, today, obviously, as I said, we'll be dedicated to how our idea of personal freedom really kind of embeds itself into how we really run our lives. And it kind of ends up becoming the foundation of how we really run our lives. But I actually want to challenge that and claim that it's a feeble idealism. So... What I mean by that is that true freedom is actually, you know, it's, it's defined differently biblically than how we would see it in our country. And that's going to be something that I challenge today. Um, so you guys are just gonna have to stick with me on this one because some of you might not like it at first. But what's actually very interesting about the definition of true freedom is that it's actually a form of enslavement. And this is gonna be, you know, a really tough thing for us to grap- grasp right off the bat. So just stick with me on this one. So the enslavement that I speak of is actually just a metaphor don't actually mean that we're being enslaved. And I know that enslavement does not tend to be the most positive theme or action that we see running through our country, especially because of how negative of an influence and how negative a history we have with that. But it's just a mere metaphor defining how attached we are to our passions and idolatry. So that's something that I really want to continue to press today is just this idea that um, our enslavement is actually to our passions. It may be a mere metaphor but the weight of the word enslavement is justified in this description. It's one of the few words that really demonstrates our inability to disconnect from our passions and idols. Um, I can honestly say as a fellow human being that everyone has some kind of passion. It's impossible to disconnect yourself from any form of idolatry or any form of passion. It's just not something that is fundamentally human to not have something that we really understand and something that we really define ourselves by. So we see people enslaved to politics. We see people enslaved to monetary success, body shape, and even their screens. How many different times have you guys seen someone try to cross a crosswalk on their phone and almost get hit by a vehicle? I mean, how often do we constitute our enslavement and just our ability to kind of define what personal freedom more is for us in these very unsatisfactory ideas and teachings and passions. Now, at the same time, psychologists have even begun to identify that a compulsive need to acquire something like money is a part of a class of behaviors known as process addictions. So for those of us who aren't um, intensely into psychology, process addictions are the types of addictions that include being addicted to gambling, sex, and even eating. It has the same effects as drinking alcohol or doing drugs. Your brain produces a high due to high levels of brain-body chemicals like dopamine. Now, this is obviously the scientific side of it, what it means to kind of fulfill our passions and to kind of do our passions. Um, But I want to assure you that this is not what freedom is supposed to be. It's not just meant to be reduced back to a brain-body chemical. I mean, how unsatisfactory does it sound to have your personal freedom defined by a release of a body chemical? I just don't think that that's what true freedom actually is. In fact, what I think true and biblical freedom tends to exist as is the intention of freeing us from the worst parts of ourselves. If we're not looking at freedom as our form of disconnecting from what is evil, then it ultimately can't be true freedom, and that's kind of what the Bible defines it as. So many have actually speculated as to what the real definition of freedom is outside of scripture. One of the most notable being John Locke, especially considering a lot of his philosophy tends to influence American politics and just how the country runs as a whole. So his philosophy, I don't know if many of us have heard it before, is that man is entitled to the following, life, liberty, and property. This means that we can really do whatever we would like as long as it doesn't hurt anyone, doesn't take away their rights or freedom, and doesn't damage or eliminate their possessions. This philosophy is celebrated today on Independence Day because it seems pretty foolproof, right? Like we just can't, you know, we just can't hurt other people, we can't take away their rights, we can't damage their property. It's pretty simple. Now, the problem is, is that this falls extremely short because it doesn't get to the true fundamental nature of what biblical freedom is, what's, is, what is supposed to look like. Now, this is actually really interesting, too, because John Locke was also a very religious man at the same time. So for him to fall short in this area is kind of ironic. But I want to encourage you all and demonstrate to you all that Paul has actually defined for us what true biblical freedom actually is in Romans 6. And this is kind of where this metaphor of enslavement is really gonna come to light and really just help us understand what true biblical freedom actually means. He would state that true freedom is actually enslavement to righteousness. So this is, this is obviously the provocation that we gotta deal with is how, how do we view enslavement? What is it like for us to view enslavement? Is it a negative term? Is it just a neutral term? Paul uses it as as a neutral term mostly because he wants to really demonstrate just how powerfully connected we are to our passions and to our idolatries and our teachings and entities. Um, But we should be able to define the the complexities of this and be challenged to define our view of freedom through scripture by hopefully the end of this message. So hopefully this should all be clear uh, by the time we get to the end of all this. But we must also start our summary by addressing something that is not true about human beings. So We've addressed this idea of personal freedom, how it kind of falls short of what true biblical freedom actually means. And I wanna first start out with my first point, which really demonstrates kind of this, a very true thing about human beings, and it's that we cannot be committed to two contrasting teachings. This is is just something that we really have to think about and that we're gonna unpack, but before we get to that, I wanna get to our scripture passage today, which is Romans 6, 15 through 19. Verse 15 says, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness? Now, this is Paul speaking directly to into the idea of how we cannot be committed to two contrasting teachings. And it's very black and white. He's, this is very either or. He says you cannot be committed to two different teachings. There's absolutely no way that you can. Now, there's no way that we can serve two contrasting ideas equally, and the question you're probably asking is, well, what about two similar teachings? I promise we're gonna get to that. But before we get to that, I wanna really address the fact that human beings are fundamentally built to have passions, as I've said before. We will always choose one passion more than the other. We will always have many different things that really make us who we are, but at the same time, there's always gonna be one that we choose more than the other. Uh, Matthew 6 24 says one cannot be the slave of two masters. We're going to get to the end of obvious we're going to get to the end of this verse by the end of this message because I really want to drive home the point of what this verse is actually saying but before we get to that it's fundamental to human nature to be enslaved to one teaching or passion and never defecting from it because it would not make sense for for us to be equally passionate about two contrasting ideas. Now it's I know that I'm really driving this point, but I really want to emphasize this, mostly because it's, like, I'm, I'm gonna illustrate this really quick for you all. So imagine, you know, if you're a native Chicagoan, you're probably gonna love the Cubs or the White Sox. Now I'm gonna stick with the Cubs. Imagine you go to a Cubs game here at Wrigley Field, and you see someone who's wearing a Cubs jersey and a St. Louis hat. It'd be complete and utter heresy. Complete and utter heresy. Now, the thing is, is, the reason that this is such a, like, such a major illustration is because not only is, is that person more likely to be attacked by someone of all the Cubs fans, but it's, you know, even if you're just wearing St. Louis uniform, whatever, you're less likely to be attacked than someone who's wearing both teams simultaneously. <laughs> so this is what I'm really demonstrating, is it is even close to impossible to love two similar teachings or passions. They both play baseball. They're both baseball teams, yet they are still so contrasting because they're two opposite sides of the spectrum. Now, because there will always be one that we love more than the other, the gap is even larger with two contrasting passions. So we have this idea, if we're gonna talk about baseball more, we have two very similar baseball teams, two contrasting sides, two rivals, yet at the same time, they don't mix. There's no way that they mix. And that's kind of what drives me to this next piece of scripture that I really want to jump to. This is actually John in his um, vision in the book of Revelation. Chapter 3, verse 14 says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. Uh, This demonstrates that it did not even make sense for the church in Laodicea to be so bipolar, so much so that God wished that they would even choose which side they were going to. Now, the idea that I brought up earlier having two centers, having two different passions that fight for dominion over the other, think about just how many times you have tried to balance the two and how many different times it has failed. At the same time, it's a perversion of both if you choose to try and balance both. So if you're going to try and attempt to balance these two different passions, these two different teachings, you're going to find that you're actually letting down both instead of fulfilling one or the other. It's just not possible for human beings to serve two teachings or two entities. So this is the idea that Paul is teaching. Obviously not that we're going to be attacked for perverting two different passions. I really wanna make sure that you guys know that you're not gonna be attacked for that. We must examine ourselves and see whether or not we are becoming dissatisfied with one master, or if we are trying to please both masters and failing in the process. This is especially important in terms of our eternity. We must learn whether or not we are still dabbling in our sin while claiming righteousness, or if we are not serving the truth. I've experienced a lot of people in my life, especially you know, outside of the church, but also within the church, who attempt to try and serve one teaching or one entity or one idea, one passion, and yet they still try to balance one that is on the complete opposite side of the spectrum. Now, within the church, this tends to look like heresy. This tends to look like someone who isn't a good part of the community, This is a perversion of righteousness. This whole idea of of not doing what God has called us to do is just perverting exactly what he needs us to do. And so the idea of still dabbling in sin, even though we are claiming righteousness, just means that we're perverting both. We're making sin out to to be even worse than it already is, and yet at the same time, righteousness is being clouded and destroyed by the sin that we still commit. So we can only be enslaved to one teaching faithfully, and it must be the teaching of the Bible because we know in our hearts by the power of the Spirit that what we claim is true. So this is a, this is a couple questions that I want us to all really think about as we kind of continue through this message, and it's what worldview do you base your life on? Is there one teaching? Are there multiple? If you're maybe not a part of the church, you're most likely thinking about what technically does run your life? What passions, what different ideas run your life? What are the few things that you really constitute your life by? And that's really what this next point is going to drive. Um, And that next point is true freedom is found in Christ. Now this this is my big claim to what true freedom really is. It's the idea that it's found in Christ. We're going to unpack how that's done later, but true freedom is found In being joined to him now this idea is demonstrated in verse 17 verse 17 says but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin you have become slaves of righteousness this is Paul really demonstrating very potently that true freedom is found in Christ now you're probably wondering how that's possible How can we find freedom in someone else other than ourselves? Now, for many of us who actually are joined to the church and do congregate on Sundays as a member of the church, many of us will constitute our true freedom as actually the gospel, the the true crucifixion of Christ, the one thing that really helps us separate from our sin and from evil. That's really what finding freedom in Christ is like. It's the idea that we are joining to the truth of the gospel, being joined to the crucifixion of Christ, dying daily on his behalf, putting ourselves to death, putting our passions to death in order that we might serve him better. So Paul is now also beginning to use the words obedience and enslavement interchangeably. This is actually a very interesting change because he goes from using just enslavement to this idea of obedience, which is demonstrating Paul's new development in that he's showing that obedience and enslavement are two interchangeable terms. But you're probably asking like what obedience are we talking about? We must value the truth so much that we find ourselves living it out with every second of our lives. And that's what obedience looks like, is it means to obey Christ in order that we might internalize the truth so much that it becomes something that we live daily. So to really demonstrate this more, I want us to think about our hobbies. I brought this up earlier and I want us to think more deeply about what these hobbies actually mean to us. When we value our hobbies, they aren't just ways that we wind down after a long day or are a way to turn off our brains. They are something that we deeply connect with. We daydream about doing our hobbies when we have to endure a long workday or a less than enjoyable experience that we encounter during our day. And yet at the same time, because it's the thing that we think about most, it becomes the thing that we find our comfort in the most. And that's very dangerous. If we choose to find our comfort merely in our hobbies, they will dissatisfy us daily because they just don't hit the core of what we're really missing. I occasionally find myself drawing or journaling. It's one thing I love to do because at the same time that I I get to embrace my thoughts, I also get to embrace my creativity. It's like one of my favorite things to do is to make sure that my brain's actually focused on one thing. What hobbies do you have that you're personally invested in? What hobbies come to your mind when you think of what's something that comforts you after having a long day or having something just to wind down? Does your life center around them? Do you find only your comfort in that? It's interesting though because it doesn't even have to be our hobbies. It could be our work. It could be our marriage. It could be our relationships. You know, even after the pandemic, it could be our dogs. We find a lot of comfort in our dogs, especially considering so many people bought dogs for the pandemic. It certainly taught us how valuable they are. Yet at the same time, finding comfort in our dogs makes them our idol. Interesting how the master of the dog tends to become the servant of the dog. It's just a weird loop. But anyways, do we think that these entities will satisfy us? Do you think that your passions are a good master to you? That's one question that we really need to think about as well. I know I'm asking a lot of questions, just bear with me, guys. Do you think that your passions are a good master to you? Do you think that your passions are ultimately going to save you at the end of the day? Are they going to grant you eternity? Are they going to satisfy the deepest need of humanity? I don't really think so. I don't think that a lot of us think that, actually, subconsciously or consciously. I don't think a lot of us think that our hobbies can satisfy us at the end of the day. And that's really the root of this question. So now the next question, as I ask more, is how are we enslaved to our passions? What does that look like? As I brought up earlier, having one center of our life really means that that's the one thing that we fixate on. So if we are enslaved to our passions, it means that if we have one center, the fixation becomes the enslavement. So if we're so deeply fixated on the comfort that we find within our hobbies, that becomes the thing that we idolize. It becomes our passion. It becomes the one thing that we run our lives off of. Now, do we use them in sinful ways? If we find comfort in anything other than God, is that sinful? That's an important question we need to ask ourselves every day. Do we use our hobbies for the glory of God? Do we take our hobbies, do we give them to God, and does he perfect them for us? Or do we just do our hobbies and completely shove God to the side? That's a very black and white kind of two sides of the coin question: is do we do we use them in simple ways, or do we use them to serve God? Now, we must all ask ourselves this because Paul is not saying that we should have been slaved to our jobs, marriages, relationships, or dogs. He is saying that we should be enslaved to righteousness, which is obedience to Christ. He has granted us true freedom, and our passions are something that we must do in remembrance of the one who granted us the ability to do them. So one of the things that I really want to emphasize today is that our passions are not actually evil. I know that I speak very, you know, if we're we're comforted by our passions alone, that is evil. Our passions are not inherently evil because there's a God who gives them to us. But ultimately, if we're not giving those passions back to God to be perfected, then they will ultimately be our source of comfort, and that's just not something we can continue to do day in and day out. Now you're likely asking me, how do I obtain life with Christ, especially for those of us who are not a member of the church yet? This is one thing that I really want you to focus on. This is a question we must all ask because it's not just, you know, not just people who aren't members of the church, but this is a question we must ask because it's something that we choose to do daily. Because it is the only detail we must know in order to inva- advance into eternity, this is what guides me to my final point, and that is that we must choose to live obediently to Christ. Verse 19 I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members of slaves, as, as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. Not only is Paul confirming that his use of enslavement is a metaphor, as I have stated earlier, but he is perfectly stating the command to choose to live obediently to Christ. Now there's a lot of unpacking to do here, so I'm going to take some time to really just explain what's going on in this verse, because there's a lot of deep theological language here. So Paul uses... Paul explains his use of his, his usage of enslavement, displaying just how provocative faith in Christ really is. It is very personal and revealing. As I said earlier, it is a passion that should reach so deep into us that it solves the deepest need of humankind. It displays our evil and our need for a savior. Not only is faith in Christ so provocative that it reaches within us, but it also exposes who we are as human beings, who we are fundamentally. This is important, but another attribute of this passage that is equally provocative is Paul's use of the word presented. Now, when you think of the word presented, you're most likely thinking of holding your hands up to give something to someone. Now, an important thing that I really want to drive home about the word presented is that there is a layer of choice that is involved within presented. We have the ability to choose to allow Christ into our lives today. And daily, because it is a daily decision that we should be making. Now, presented is, is, a, is a very, very difficult kind of word for this passage because he, Paul specifically says, you once presented your members, your members as slaves. Now, when you think of the word members, this thing, you're, you're thinking of like your arms, your legs, every part of your body. This is exactly what Paul is getting to, that we must be giving ourselves over to God. Giving our flesh to him, our sinfulness, every part of humanity that just is not holy is something we should be giving to him, ultimately so that he can perfect it and give it back to us. Now, this idea of choice is really driven home in Romans ten nine, which is literally the same book and the same author, stating that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is another example of this need stated by the same author in the same book. As I, you know, it's, it's really important that we realize that this is the same person saying the same thing to the same people. He demonstrates the ability to choose, the ability to present our flesh to God to be perfected. But at the same time, he presents the idea of choice in Romans 10, 9. We have a responsibility to give God our passions and our, our, all these teachings and ideas to Him to be perfected, to be given back to us. That's what it means to live obediently to Christ. Now, to obtain eternal life with Christ, not only do we choose to accept Him, we, ex- we choose to accept Him daily, as I've said. For those of us who already do believe in Christ, this is a decision that we make daily. We choose to baptize our flesh and to give ourselves over to the Lord to be perfected daily. It's not a one-time choice. Because human beings are so apt to change, it's important for us to redefine our lives each day and to give our passions back to Christ. And that's just really what Paul is demonstrating in this last verse. Now, tr- really coming back to this idea of true freedom, especially because there's these, all these details that just come into it. True freedom fundamentally is being joined to Christ, but logistically it means being free from the penalty of our sin and evil eternally. So being joined to Christ bodily, giving him our flesh in order that he might perfect it and give it back to us, means that we are ultimately freed from our evil and sin to be able to, to, to do holiness, to do the very righteous acts that we should be enslaved to. For those wondering about the passages of Matthew 6.24 and Revelation 3.14 that I talked about earlier, they both end up with the person or the subject dissatisfied. Now if you, bo- now, if you all remember, Matthew 6.24 was the passage on the slave trying to please two masters in Revelation 3.14, having the, the church of Laodicea being incapable of choosing hotness or coldness. Now, in Matthew six twenty-four, the slave who could not love two masters equally ended up hating one and loving the other. The church of Laodicea was charged not to be lukewarm because their inability to choose holiness or evil caused them to become a perversion of both. This idea of trying to serve two teachings, as I, you know, is, as I really kind of got to my first point, was you can't have two centers. Now, let's think about this logically. If we're one single human being, how often would you constitute yourself as having two centers? Center already implies having one. You can't have two centers because it wouldn't make sense. There's no logical way you can bring up having two centers as a human being. If you ever said that to anyone, if I were to say, I love the Cubs and I love the Cardinals equally, people would probably think I'm insane, most likely. This is why we must choose to serve one teaching alone, not because we don't want to look insane. That's not the point I'm trying to drive home. But that teaching must be the one where Christ reaches into us and frees us from that evil forever. I cannot emphasize enough just how important it is that we must be freed from the evil that we commit daily. Yet at the same time, we are redeemed of that when we give our lives to Christ and when we obey him faithfully. For those of us who do not believe, who are not members of the church, I do not know what what passions you have or what worldview dominates your thinking. You could have multiple. You could have multiple masters you're trying to satisfy, or you could have one that really just runs your life and you find comfort in. I'm sure there's a part of you that is rejoicing to hear this teaching, and especially at the revelation of what true freedom actually means. I really can't emphasize enough just how important it is that we know what true freedom actually means. It's not the idea that we don't hurt each other, we don't damage each other's possessions, but it's that we must be freed of the thing that makes us evil. The very fundamental definition of what true freedom actually means is that we must be enslaved to the truth. We must be enslaved to righteousness. We must be performing righteousness daily. It must be a thing that we think of doing every moment of our lives but it's life with Christ. And choosing to be joined to him each and every day is what being enslaved to righteousness is. Choosing to accept him each and every day is what true freedom means because it means that he perfects us to the point of making us exempt from the evil that is just so fundamental to human beings. For those who do not believe, or no, for those who do believe in Christ, think about how you can be serving the church on a Sunday every week. Think about how you can be giving back to the church. I must emphasize this is for the people of the church. How can you choose to perfect your passions? How can you give back to the church with your passions? What can you do for the church that is just so fundamental to your being and how can that be perfected for you? true freedom means being enslaved to the truth, which is life with Christ. We must pray fervently to know how this best applies to us today. And we're gonna do that right now as we end this message. Lord, we thank you just for being with us today and just guiding us and giving us the peace to know what true freedom truly means. We thank you that you've gifted us with just this opportunity to really know what freedom means, but more importantly that we, that we know what true humanity means at the same time. That we can't be enslaved to two different teachings. We can only choose one and that that one must be choosing you. We thank you that you've gifted us with this, with this teaching, with this truth, and we pray that we may serve it daily, that we may recommit it in our lives daily. We thank you just for your continuous guidance and peace in that, Lord. And we pray for your love and for us to know the true meaning of freedom on Independence Day today, Lord. We thank you for all that you do. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.